we're continuing to worship. You know, one of the things about this, um, we've been doing this team teaching thing really since the very first time we were online. And what motivated that originally was Rick is uh, leading our Mount Laurel campus. I was the main uh, speaker at our Voorhees campus. And so as we were apart, we wanted everybody in our community of faith to see a pastor that they're used to seeing. And uh, we had no idea it was going to be going this long. So mm. at some point along the way, we had to come up with, are, are we going to continue to do it this way with two of us, or are we going to go to the way we've always done it, which is with one communicator? Along the way, we were hearing literally from scores of you who were appreciating uh, the two voices together. And uh, so we decided, you know, we're going to continue this approach, um, whether it's me and Rick or other of our uh, uh, preaching pastors, uh, to do the team thing for at least uh, the next season, however long that's going to be. It also says something important about how we approach ministry. We do everything by team. We believe that team is the way that God called us to be the church, that we're not only called uh, as individual right. Christ followers, but we're called to be part of a team. And so all that we do here at Hope, we do as part of a team. And I was thinking about um, a coach that I had years ago, and he said, you know, our team is only going to be as good as the weakest player. And it was his way of trying to motivate each of us as individuals to do our best, to give our best for the whole team. And so as we're continuing in this series on James, I think James has that in mind as well. He wants each of us as Christ followers to invest our very best so that our team, which is the church, is going to be uh, effective. Yeah, absolutely. So we're going to continue on in that. We're actually going to do um, two different, uh, well, one message, but two different sections of James. And so Rick's going to start with James 1. Yeah, and so early on in James, as we this is our third week in the series, but early on in just a few sentences into his letter that he wrote to the church, he has this to say. It's from James chapter 1, verse 19. It's up on the screen, and it's going to stay there for a few minutes because I'm going to talk about this. He says, understand this, my dear brothers and sisters, you must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. And that is wisdom for every century, whether it's the first century or the 21st century. And if you've been a Christ follower for any length of time, you've heard this before, you've seen this, uh, it's been pointed out to you, and it's, it's almost easy to remember, right? Quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to get angry. It's a, almost a motto. It could be on a t-shirt, right? It's easy to remember, it's easy to recite, it seems simple, yet it is so challenging to practice. As a matter of fact, the, uh, the ancient rabbis had a teaching that flowed out of this. They said this, they said, two ears are given to us, but only one tongue. In other words, listen twice as often as you speak. And then they went on to say this, they taught that the ears are open and exposed, whereas the tongue is walled off behind your teeth. All right, so bite your tongue. Right? So, so this, this quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to get angry, it seems so easy to remember. Possibly in the 21st century, James might have written this. He might have written, listen more and tweet less. Mm. <laughs> or before you put that comment on Facebook, listen more carefully. Mm. 
This challenge room, it's such a wise teaching for today. It really is a model way to engage in relationships. And and really, it's what we desire, right? What do we want from relationships? We want someone who's going to listen to us. We want someone who's going to carefully speak to us. And we want someone who will have the patience that will lead to understanding. I mean, that's, that's what we want. But if we're most honest While it's every person's desire, it's not as easy for us to practice. It's the reason that we often hear when there's a heated moment or a disagreement, you're not listening to me. Because as soon as anger gets involved, we tend to stop listening as well as we could. So though it may be difficult to practice, and we, I think we all would agree this is challenging, uh, we don't get a pass on it. Uh, uh, it, it. James is very clear. It's not enough to memorize it. He says we must. He says understand this. We must get this. Our faith requires that we need to practice this. And, and you know, Jeff and I, as we were preparing this, uh, I jokingly said, I have tons of stories of examples of me not doing this correctly. And, uh, uh, but then I did think of one story that really fits so well. I was, I was a brand new pastor. I mean, I had just graduated seminary, and I was sure that I had all the knowledge and information that I would need. And fortunately, a man came uh, who was a part of our church, and he came and said, hey, I really like the things that you say. I would love if you would disciple me. And, you know, I thought, oh, this is great. I've got all this knowledge to impart to somebody. I will happily do that. And so we started meeting for breakfast once a week, and I put together this vast program on discipling this man in his faith. And I had all these ideas about memorizing scripture and learning different things and teaching him about theology. And I was all prepared. And as we're meeting, about the third meeting, in the midst of me talking a lot over breakfast, He just loudly in the middle of the diner said, I can't do it. I was like, what's wrong? And he said, you don't know where I've been. You don't know what I've been through. I can't do this. You just don't know what's been going on in my life. And I realized I had been doing a lot of talking and very little listening. And then he just spent time just sharing his heart and sharing his life. And I realized that I was in a whole different place because I hadn't taken the time to listen to hear what he had to say. Now, I want you to, good news is that I was able to pivot and I was able to recover and he's still a <laughs> follower of Christ. He didn't run from the faith or anything <laughs> like that. But it was a very teachable moment for me about what it means to listen more than you speak. And I am sure as James wrote this, as uh, uh, I think Jeff already said this, that uh, he had his brother Jesus in mind, that Jesus clearly embodied this idea of this other-centered life, this idea of, uh, uh, that faith is about being quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to get angry. Because, you know, I think of the stories of Jesus, and, and there's one that says that the disciples saw a crowd gathered, but Jesus was moved by the people. Like, he saw each person. Like, he He saw the individuals. He saw them by name. He saw Simon. He saw Mary. He saw Martha. He saw people. Uh, When others saw an opportunity for a controversial topic for debate, Jesus saw the hurt and the person, and he asked, will you give me a drink? Um, Jesus was this master question asker. I mean, he listened to what people had to say. Uh, He asked one time, what do you want me to do for you? That's just an invitation to a conversation. We ask questions for answers. Jesus seemed to ask questions for awareness. He asked one person, he said, why do you call me good? 
Jesus asked questions to understand a person's thought process, their preconceptions, their assumptions, their beliefs. He even asked one person who was sick, he said, do you want to get well? I mean, what an outstanding question to lead into a conversation. So this challenge shared so early in James's letter is really a model for how to live out our faith in real life, how to live out the messiness of relationships. I mean, it's really a practice of being Jesus. It's, it's not enough to know this. We must live this out in our life. I think James is telling us, and we're going to talk about this for the, the rest of our time together now, that it's less about what you say and more about how you live, that we need to put our faith into real life circumstances. And our relationships are the messiest part, which is why I think James started there with this idea of being quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to get angry, that our faith is this recognition that our words are valuable, our words are powerful, and they can't be returned, they can't be taken back, and so that our words should be used carefully, that we should be thinking while we're listening, and more importantly, we should take the time to be listening actively to each other. Because really, to listen is the most other-centered thing that we can do. And it's one of the ways I would suggest we're most like Jesus when we take time to listen. So this faith that we put into action leads to this life of humility. It leads to this, uh, uh, this, this, um, this humble heart. Listening more, talking less, getting angry a whole lot less. Uh, really, it's about being like Jesus and being others-centered. So, Jeff, as we were preparing this, we were looking at, uh, we, we were recognizing that James was thinking of his brother, yeah. and we came to this story, and uh, uh, it's really an example of our words and our actions, and so uh, I want to read it to you. It's not on the screen. Let me just read it to you. Jesus said, um, what do you think of this? A man with two sons told the older boy, son, go out and work in the vineyard today. The son answered, no, I won't go. But later he changed his mind and went anyway. Then the father told the other son, you go. And he said, yes, sir, I will. But he didn't go. And then Jesus asked a question, which of the two obeyed his father? And they replied, the first. Yeah, I love this story. I love Jesus' parables because they're, they're powerful and so relatable. And uh, so the second part of uh, this teaching from James, the second chapter, James is really talking to that second brother. The second brother is that guy who um, is that Christian. You probably know this uh, Christian. Unfortunately, we're often weird, this guy, <laughs> where we say when God tells us to do something, yes, sir, I'm going to do this Father, I'm all about it. I love you, Father. I tell all my friends about you, Father. Yes, Father, I'm going to do it. And then we go out and we don't do it. And it's that, um, it's that person, it's that time in our faith where our words say one thing, our actions say another. Mm -hmm. And so what our takeaway for today is, you've already seen it up on what I'm calling the blackboard these days. It's this <laughs> black screen with white words. But it's this idea that genuine faith is less about what we say 
and more about how we live. It's less about what we say and more about how we live. And that's where James is going to be taking us. Um, I'm going to look at James chapter 2, 14 through 18. And what these five verses pack in is really good. So I'm just going to be uh, reading and commenting on it uh, a little bit. So it starts out by saying this. What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith, but don't show it by your actions. Can that kind of faith save you? Suppose you have um, a brother or sister who has no food or clothing, and you say, goodbye, have a good day, stay warm, mm. and eat well. But then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do? That's a great question. It is a great question. What good does that do? It does no good. It's like that son who says, yes, sir, and then goes and doesn't do what the father said. This kind of religion, this kind of faith, is what I would refer to as mere religion. Mere religion is set of beliefs and practices, whatever those beliefs and practices may look like, that at the very best bring some level of comfort to the practitioner. That's what mere religion is. It's a set of beliefs and practices that may bring some sense of comfort to the practitioner. Here's the thing. Jesus didn't come to make you comfortable. Amen. Jesus didn't come to make me comfortable. He came to transform our lives. He came to show us the way of the Father. He came to draw us to looking up our vertical relationship with God and looking out our horizontal relationships with others, which oftentimes makes us feel uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. right? But that's what he came to do, to get us away from self and our self-worship and focus ourselves on loving God and loving our neighbors. And when we do that well, oftentimes we end up finding comfort, but we certainly find meaning and purpose for our lives. And so James is challenging this idea of, I'm just going to uh, say good things, but not really do anything with it. So that's uh, verses 14 through 16. Then he picks up in verse 17 and says this. So you see, Faith by itself isn't enough. Unless it produces good deeds, it is dead and useless. Could he say it any plainer? Faith without good deeds is what? Dead. Useless. It's meaningless. He's calling us to an active faith. So what is this faith that he's talking about? Hebrews chapter 1 uh, I'm sorry, chapter 11, verse 1, uh, describes faith this way. Faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It is the evidence of things we cannot see. In other words, faith gives us God's eyes. We're not seeing things just through our physical eyes. We're seeing the world through God's perspective. And when we have that and then we act on that, that's what real faith is about. It's not just about 
seeing through God's eyes. It's about then acting on the things that, that uh, these eyes produce in us. We're looking at the world through God's perspective. And that's what faith is about. So this faith then calls us to action. In the remainder of chapter 11, the writer of Hebrews does this kind of hall of fame of people of faith. It's men and women who lived out their faith. And he talks about a whole list of them, uh, uh, Noah and Abraham and Moses and Rahab and this list that goes on and on and on. And these are normal people, normal men, normal women living normal lives, flawed. Every one of them is flawed, just like us. But they had these eyes, they had this perspective, this faith that they saw the world through, and then they acted on that faith. Oftentimes, at great personal expense, it made them uncomfortable, but the result was many, many people were blessed. When we have faith, when we're seeing things through God's perspective, things like, you know, being quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry, when we have that faith perspective and we act on it, people around us get blessed, and that's the nature of real faith. Okay, and then he goes on and closes out this section with verse 18 and says this. Now, someone may argue, some people have faith, others have good deeds. But I say, how can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? I will show you my faith with my good deeds. So he's not having this argument, you know, like he's not saying there's two kinds of Christians. There's the faith kind, you know, the guys who and gals who have all of the words, they quote the Bible, they say spiritual things, but there's no evidence of faith in their lives. And then there's the kind who, you know, just have good deeds. He's saying faith and good deeds are intermixed. They, you, you can't have them. You can't have faith without deeds. My description of this, it's, it's like parenting with no kids. Faith without deeds is like parenting with no kids. When, before Josh and Matt were born, I was an amazing parent, right? <laughs> I had all the answers. I knew uh, what to do in every situation, and, you know, I could spout this stuff off. It wasn't, though, until Josh and Matt came along that I had to put into practice all of this stuff that I thought about parenting. And then I got to see how it played out, how it affected my kids in their lives. And some things were really good and over time, you know, have paid dividends. Some things I needed to change. That's the nature of our faith, that we're putting these eyes that God gives us into practice in the world that we see around us. You know, I think this isn't a new idea that James invented. I think Ricky stole it from his brother. Yep. <laughs> this is this is Jesus' brother, right? So Jesus was a guy who put his faith into practice and called his followers to do the same. He said things like, love each other in the way that I love you. Forgive others. Love your enemy. Pray for those who persecute you. Go into all the world 
and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. He called us to an active faith. Faith is not dead. Faith is not inert. Faith is not inactive. A real faith is a faith that's put into practice. Absolutely. Yeah, it's not memorizing mottos. It's about living out our faith Indeed. in practice. Yeah, so, uh, so the takeaway again is up on the screen. Genuine faith is less about what you say and more about how you live. This challenge from James for each of us, it's not enough just to know faith. Uh, we have to live this out in our lives that this that this really is about the process of conforming to the image of Jesus Christ right. for the sake of others is what we talk about all the time, that our, it's putting our faith into action. And sometimes, and even oftentimes, this faith-filled life will have missteps along the way and we'll, 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 we'll mess up. And, uh, but our faith, our action, leads to blessings for others. I mean, really, that's the heart of this Hope Outside initiative. That's, that's the reason we're doing that, is we want to live out our faith in real time in real ways. And it leads to whole and healthy relationships. It truly is putting others first. And it's this life that is filled with deep and real relationships. And we bring blessing to others. And so we would pray that, uh, I'm going to pray for us, that the evidence of our faith would be seen in our good deeds. So let's pray together. And so God, uh, that, that is our prayer, that, uh, 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 that our faith would be evidenced through our good deeds. God, that uh, it would not be about memorizing mottos, or, but God, it would be about practicing real life, even in the messiness of life. And so God, may our faith be active, may our faith be alive, and God, may we be blessings, may we be a blessing to others. Not mere words, God, but a life lived out for others to see and to benefit from the life lived by us. God, that's our prayer. That's our challenge. And God, we ask that you would be with us as we live that out throughout this week. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You guys have a great week. See you next week.